0: This was to be an off week, but I said I have things in my heart I want to share about this changed my life. It's been our topic all summer long, and so I'm honored I get to land the plane on it tonight. I mused over what to say. Uh, I, I felt like I had a lot of things over my years with God. I got saved when I was five at a Revival Tabernacle in Gadsden, Alabama. I believe it was Jaime Rubenstein was preaching and uh, he gave a salvation invitation and I looked at my dad and said, I want to get Jesus in my heart. And so dad walked me to an altar and I prayed. I don't know if I knew what all it meant, but but at five years old, I was hungry for Jesus and I said, I prayed a prayer. And so I, I went all the way back to the things that have changed my life. I was going to talk about giving because giving has changed my life, but we've already covered that topic. And then... The prophetic, and by that I mean the Holy Spirit speaking through other people to encourage you. Uh, it's, it's amazing to me how often through my years that God has sent the right prayers at the right time to challenge me to keep moving, the things that there's no way other than the mind of God could people know what was going on but yet spoke prophetically to it. And so I'm, I thought about that, and, but I landed on something that takes me back quite a while. It's going to go back to the 1991. And so I had not even been in ministry yet. I was still in seminary, so I was in my mid 20s. I was excited about God. I I grew up Pentecostal, uh, Holy Spirit healing, you know, the preaching of the word. And in that, my perceptions of that were that there was nothing greater than the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was everything you needed for life, and and I grew up believing that, and I went through college, and now I'm in seminary, and at the heart of, you know, the core of my life sat this, all you need is the Holy Spirit. That's what you need to make it. Believed it emphatically, and uh, you need to hear the Spirit. You need to follow the Spirit. You need to understand the Spirit. Uh, while I was at seminary, I did a deep dive on the Holy Spirit and spent two years just musing over the baptism of the Spirit, what it meant. I wanted to understand the Holy Spirit. And this teaching comes out of that premise of my life because something happened that shifted. And when it shifted, it did change my life truly. Uh, I don't know if I would have ever shifted had I not had the experience that I had to understand what God wanted to do long-term And so I'd like to jump into it tonight, and this is the thought. Living under spiritual authority is true freedom, not cultish bondage. I've noticed in my years of pastoring that the the word authority, spiritual authority, can conjure up a lot of demons in people. Uh, There's abuse. By spiritual authority, we mean spiritual mothers and fathers, pastors, It lends itself to cultish bondage. I don't need an authority in my life. I only need God. I don't need somebody else telling me what to do. We think of images of David Koresh and cults, and I don't have to obey a human. I need to just obey God. And and I probably landed there. I landed that the best thing you can do is follow God. You should never follow a human. You should never submit to a human. You should only submit to God. God was the highest order in the pecking order, and and ergo God, that's all you needed. And so, I want to take you through Scripture tonight of how I came to understand that to live under authority is the highest true freedom you can have. It changes life forever to be under spiritual authority. I'll explain it in depth, so hopefully it will not leave you wondering what I mean by it, but uh, to those that have been under it, you better believe it it has filled a lot of counseling centers uh, up, and it 's ran a lot of people off from church because pastors abuse their authority and people get hurt and manipulated and controlled and uh, and it just doesn't go well i I've, I've been in churches where if you left the church, you were blackballed, talked about. Uh, I was in one church, and when a family left the church, we were told by the leaders never to mention their name again. Uh, so I will say that, that spiritual authority, I, I want to be honest about it. it, it can be abused. And it can do nothing more than hurt people and damage people. But just because we humans can mess it up does not mean that it's not what God would want. And, it, and I use that phrase, true freedom, because once I came to understand it, it, it has brought probably more freedom in my life than I can tell you. Not bondage, it, it did just the opposite. So let me uh, run through what I call mantras of madness. And I, I put it that way because if you take it out of context, it, it's... The phrase sounds spiritual on the surface, so part of it is a spirituality, it's a yes, it's a definite yes. But if you don't parse it out, how many of you know the Bible says this, that, it, that you need to rightly discern the Bible? You you can pull out a scripture and make it mean anything, but over the parse of other 66 books of the Bible, you, you find a good balance. So, I called these mantras of madness, and these are, I wrote this under it. These are things that are true, yet can get you in trouble. And this is kind of the start of where I was. So what I'm about to share with you is sort of pre-Mark before I came to what spiritual authority really was and why God wanted it and, and what He was after in our personal lives what I'm about to share with you is kind of where I I was before I'm gonna share my story here's the first one all you need is the Holy Ghost to that I would say well sure but there's many people that have the Holy Ghost that have a messed up life because you you need more than the Holy Ghost yes you need the Holy Ghost but the rightly divided if you're not careful there's been a lot of people who have blamed a lot on the Holy Ghost, and it was not the Holy Ghost. They'll say things like, well, God told me, God said, the Lord said, and blame a lot on the Holy Spirit, and it may have never been the Holy Spirit, so we've got to rightly discern it. Number two, follow your heart. Let the Lord lead you. Well, that sounds romantic, but the heart is deceitful. And you can, with all good intentions be going the wrong way with bad intentions the whole time. You can mean well and mess your entire life up. Number three, you just need a word of the Lord. Just get in your prayer closet and let God speak to you. But if you're not careful, you can get a word that you think is from the Lord and it's not even remotely God such as the woman who came out of her prayer closet that we knew, our family, who came out and said, God told her, that was her words, God told her that she was to write the 23rd chapter of the book of Revelation. And she had the final story because God said. So if we're not careful, uh, anytime, anyone can say, well, God said, the Lord told me. And, and if we're not careful, we can end up thinking we heard God, we're following God, and we're, listening to God and the whole time. It's not even God. Now, here's the thing of Mark, the young 20-year-old. I would, I would have fought for every one of these because I would have assumed, well, if all you need is a Holy Ghost, you could never go wrong. Well, if you follow your heart and let the Lord lead you, He'll always lead you right. And all you need is just God to speak to you. You let the Lord speak to you, that's all you need. And I, again, I think I could have Debated all of them. Here's the fourth one. Just obey God. That's all that matters. Obey God. But there's a lot of people that think they obey God again, but it's not even God. I go back to a gentleman in our church years ago. I was in my teens when this happened, but he, he was keeping some cats for another family in our church while they were out of town. And while they were out of town... Uh, he said that God told him to drown the cats and try to resurrect them from the dead. And he drowned the lady's cats. All because I'm just obeying God. God told me... So you see what I mean by... Like they, they're true on the surface, but, but if there's nothing balancing it out, how do I know it's the Holy Ghost and not just your emotions? How do, how do I know it's really God leading you and not just your lust? You're just hearing voices that aren't even God. And I do believe you need a word of the Lord, but how do I know you're not being manipulated? That, that You're hearing things that aren't the Lord. So as I grew and I, I became older and tried to live more wise, I realized that, yes, they're true, but that's just why I wrote them, if you're not careful, you can get in trouble. So let me tell you my story, and perhaps it'll make a little more sense. I was really, really hungry for Jesus in my 20s. All I wanted to do was serve God, serve His church, and I didn't care where. I didn't care if that was children, youth, missions, music. I just wanted to be in God's house serving God. I I didn't care what money they paid me. It could have been part-time, no time, Full time. I just loved God's house and I loved His people. When I left Statesboro to go to seminary in 1989, it was September of 89, God put me in a church called Cornerstone Christian Family Fellowship. It was supernatural how I got there. I went to church on a Sunday morning. I met with the pastor. And when I met with the pastor on Wednesday, I think it was September the 1st on a Wednesday. In 1989, I sat in his office and I was like, hey, I enjoyed your church service. I just wanted to meet you. He asked what I did. I told him what I did. I was a children's pastor. He said, children's pastor, our elders and myself had been praying that God would send us a children's pastor by September 1st. It was September 1st. He said, you're hired. I didn't even put a resume in. I just was hired. I, I thought, well, okay, great. I needed a job. I was at seminary with no money. So I'd only been there about a week, and I had a full-time job, well, part-time, but working with Pastor Phil. Now, Pastor Phil Stern, highly prophetic, and by that I mean Pastor Phil, in the middle of a church service on a Sunday, would just stop and point to a visitor and say, the Lord told me to tell you, and just read their mail. Like as if he had been in their home, hearing their conversations, and I'm thinking, that takes either a lot of guts or stupidity, or he's really hearing God. And every time he just would nail the person with the Holy Spirit told me and right publicly in an entire church of people he would call people out and pray for them and their lives would be revolutionized. So that was the environment. The environment was very spirit-filled, the environment was very prophetic, God saying and God telling. Well, Mark who wants to change the world. I did not go to Tulsa to uh, you know, work in a church, I went to go to seminary and change the world. So my thinking was, as soon as I can get out of here, I'm blowing this town goodbye. There's plenty of churches in Tulsa. It was the Mecca of Christianity in the time, and I want to go and get as quickly as I can. So there was always running in my mind what I wanted to do outside of seminary and being a children's pastor at Cornerstone Christian Family Fellowship. Well, I met a friend in seminary that shared a lot of my personality. He was a go-getter. Nothing could stop him. He's, man, we're going to run hard for God. We're going to change the world together. His name was Jeff. And we hit it off very well. We were both in the same program, and we just became the dearest of good friends. And we would talk kingdom and Jesus and change the world. And so Jeff graduated before me, and Jeff hightailed it to Oklahoma City. I still had a year left. Jeff hightailed it to Oklahoma City to start a church. And he called me, and he said, Hey, I want you to come down and help me plant this church. And Now, Oklahoma City was about an hour and a half drive without traffic, so the typical way we worked it out is I would go to school Monday through Friday, I would get out of school on Friday, Robin was pregnant, me and Robin, pregnant, would drive to Oklahoma City and we would stay with a family that would let us stay there and we would stay Friday night, Saturday night, preach Sunday at church to the children and youth, he asked me to be the youth pastor as well, and and then do youth on Sunday night and then drive back home and go back to school all week and that was the plan. And I thought, hey, I'm passionate, I could do that, pregnant wife, uh, no money, he's not going to pay me, so I'm going to lose money, but hey, this is inspiring, and it's my best friend, and we're going to change the world, and I'm going to be a youth pastor in Oklahoma City with him, let's do it. So I went to Pastor Phil, who I loved, he was my boss and pastor, and I said, Pastor Phil, would you pray about something? He said, well, sure I will. I said, I want you to pray about me quitting church here and going with Jeff Lyon to Oklahoma City to help him plant a church. And he said, okay, I'll pray. And I said, yeah, just let me know what the Lord tells you. So he goes and prays for about a week or so, and I go and pray. And we come back and we meet. And when we meet, he said, "Uh, well, how are you feeling? I said, well, I prayed and I feel like the Lord told me to go. And I'm willing to leave my job here. I know there'll be no money, but, but I, I feel like God spoke to me to do this, and I want to follow the Lord. And Pastor Phil said, well, I prayed, and I felt like the Lord told me don't do it. And I immediately felt like, little dummy, he doesn't have faith. He doesn't see it like I see it. He doesn't understand what I want to do. He's ruining my dream. I can't believe he would not support me. I didn't tell him that because that would be rude. I just listened and I said, well, thank you so much. I went home and told Robin, what did Pastor Phil say? I said, well, he doesn't think we should go. I said, but I think he missed it and I'm going. And she goes, okay, I'm following you. And so I kissed Pastor Phil goodbye and all the teens goodbye and they clapped over me and Robin and I departed from staff and I left the staff and and I started driving to uh, Oklahoma City, Friday night, pregnant wife. They put us in a home where they had a waterbed. You've never been in hell. You've never been to hell until you're in a waterbed with a pregnant woman. Because she doesn't just sit up and get out. We had to to work it where we could bounce her out. I would start doing this, and the bed would start doing, and I'd do this, and then she'd sit up. And how many of you know when you're pregnant you got to pee a lot? So there wasn't much sleeping. There was her all night moaning, Oh God, I'm sweating. My back hurts. I can't get out. So every time she would have to pee, I would either have to try to rock her out or get up and walk around and try to hoist her out. And me, look at me. It wasn't like I could get out easy either. It's just difficult to get out of a bed. And we just did that. We did it for about five, eight, I think about eight weeks It was the worst eight weeks of our life. If Robin was here, I think she's downstairs, she would tell you that the pinnacle of our worst period of time in marriage is Oklahoma City. If I brought her up here and said, Honey, what's the worst our life has ever been? She's going to say Oklahoma City. And I said all that to say, How could it be the worst when I felt like God told me to do it? So Robin's crying. She hates it. I hated it. It wasn't nearly as romantic as it sounded talking to Jeff. And so I called Pastor Phil. And I said, Pastor Phil, I need to meet with you. Would you mind meeting with me? And and, in his kindest of ways, he said, no, not at all. He said, why don't we meet at McDonald's on the Turnpike? And I said, okay, I'll meet you there. And so I drove to McDonald's. I could could tell you right where I was at. I, I, I felt a little embarrassed that... I had told him I heard God, and I felt a little defeated. I felt like a failure. And so it was going to be a very humbling lunch. And so I sat down with Pastor Phil, and and I said to him, I said, Pastor Phil, I feel like I miss God, and I don't know what to do. And he said, Mark, I, I tried to tell you not to go, but you told me the Lord told you to go. And I said, yes, sir, you're right. I said, "Uh, I really felt like the Holy Spirit trumped you. Because I said the Holy Spirit's telling me to go, and you're telling me no. And so I felt like my Holy Spirit could trump you. And so I used the Holy Spirit to trump your fatherly wisdom. And he said, son, this is exactly what he told me. He owed me nothing. He said to me, he said, don't worry about it. Why don't you? still touches me because it it changed my life. Why don't you come back home? I said, but you already have a youth pastor or or children's pastor. You've already hired somebody to do what I was doing. He said, don't worry about it. I'm just going to create a space for you because I want you back. And I came home and told Robin, I said, I don't know why that man is taking me back after I screwed him over and told him I didn't care what he thought and I did my own thing. And in that moment, my whole life changed because I realized that God puts voices of authority in our life to help us find freedom, not put us in bondage. But it was me trumping my voice of the Holy Spirit over His authority. And so for about two years, I wrestled this out like, What's the greater voice, the voice of the Spirit or the voice of spiritual authority? Well, it can't be spiritual authority. That would make a human God. It would have to be the Holy Spirit. There could be nothing greater than the Holy Spirit. But I have the Holy Spirit, and I heard the Holy Spirit, and it was the worst disaster of my life because you put a voice in my life, but when that voice in my life didn't line up with what I was feeling in my gut, I took my gut and trumped the voice in my life. And I was wrestling with that, like, that can't be godly. Like, that that makes a human being God, and no human being can be God. God God sits at the pinnacle, And, and therefore it's very easy in our kind of setting to always trump people with God. Like, if you tell me no, I just say, well, I'm sorry, God said. And that immediately just shuts you up and puts God at God. And so I wrestled this out, like literally wrestled it out. It, it, how can it be biblical to have a man that, that can have more authority than God? And then I started understanding all of what I'm going to share with you tonight. So it's not been something I worked out Monday and decided to teach it tonight. I have worked this out since 1991 of understanding why God puts voices of authority in our life. And I do know, like I said at the beginning, it can be very cultish. Men can start telling you what they say God is going to do, and it becomes very cultish. There was a move years ago where you couldn't do anything without the leaders telling you what to do. You couldn't even go to the grocery store without the leaders approving you to go to the grocery store. So I do know that, that it can be abused But it still did not negate, does God have voices of authority in our life to help us find freedom so that we don't wind up sidetracking our life and ruining our life? How does God work this out to use a human to help navigate this life of the Spirit? And I landed on what I shared with you, that this question is what I wrestled with, have you ever considered that being under spiritual authority might be the catalyst to your completed healing? It makes me wonder how many people never get to where God wants them because they don't understand authority in their life. They're vagabonds. They're wanderers. They do whatever God tells them to do, and no one can ever speak into their life because the moment you try to speak in their life, they just say, well, God said And then the moment you say God said, there's really no answer a pastor or any other authority could have. Because the moment you say God said, oh, I ain't touching that one. I mean, I don't mind telling you what I feel as a leader, but I'm not about to touch you telling me God said. So now there has to become this balance between God said, but I highly respect what you say because I realize what I think God is saying could be wrong. So now it becomes this this unity between the people in my life that are helping me navigate spirit-filled living to my health. Now in this, I, I will tell you, I have had wonderful experiences. I have had zero bad, well not zero, very few bad experiences from men or women who had a role of authority. And I'm not talking about in the world like teachers... Because here's what we do know. Let's do not get too religious because every realm of the world has authority in it. The schoolroom has a teacher and a principal, and the principal has a board, and the board, the education board, is subject to the, the, you know, the state education system, and then that, that is subject to the governor, and then the governor is subject to the president, this president is subject to the people. Well, it should be. Everything has authority to it. You, you go to Longhorn and Eat, and the waitress has more authority than you because she's going to bill you. So when we come to church, if we're not careful, we act like it's so free that who's really in charge here? Well, typical, it would be a pastor or an elder or a whatever term, a bishop, depending on your denomination. They, they, would, they would have roles of authority, but, the, but authority is to bring healing to the group. But because we're humans, it oftentimes can bring manipulation and bondage and hurts and all the stuff we do because we men can be very egotistical and driven. But I want you to consider the question. Could you open your mind that completed healing in your life? And by completed healing, I'm not just talking about physical sickness. I'm talking about dreams you you want God to accomplish. Plans, desires, things you've always longed for. Do you believe that spiritual authority could be connected to such? And my answer through the years is yes. Because as I told you, it was so important to me that I realized when we say spiritual authority, we're not just talking about somebody with a title. Pastor, elder, bishop, potentate, whatever the title would be. But we're talking about someone who holds relational equity in your life. You know them. They hold a spot of relational equity. In other words, Pastor Phil, if he called me today and said, I was praying for you and I feel I would definitely weigh that in the 90 percentile range now. Because Pastor Phil has relational equity with me. And because he has relational equity with me, I grant him a place of authority. Same with my dad. Uh, When we built this building, I went to dad and said, I feel like that the Lord wants me to build the building, but I just want you to know I need you to pray because I'm not about to build it unless you, as a voice of authority, feel like this is the way I should go. Because I'm a very passionate man, I can run off the side of a hill and be happy about it he went and prayed and came back, and his advice was, Mark, every man needs to take a step of faith. And I said back to him, well, you know that step of faith is going to be over a million-dollar debt, right? And he said, I'm good with that. If you feel like the Lord wants you to do it, every man has to come to a place to trust God. Go trust God. I'll support you the whole way. Well, the moment he did that, I hear you look at what God did for us. Now, to show you how much I believe in this, when I met Robin, we met in Oklahoma, and I told Robin, I said, I love you, and I want to marry you. I said, but if your parents don't feel good about it, and my parents don't feel good about it, I'm not marrying you. Because that's how important it is that we marry believing that those we're submitted to and love us most, our mothers and fathers know best for us, then I want their blessing. I don't want to just say, well, I love you, screw them, we're going to get married, honey. If my father and mother don't think you're the one for me, I'm going to back off. And if your mother and dad don't think I'm the one for you as much as we love each other, I'm going to back off because I believe that much in authority in our lives. Both parents said yes, and here we are today, thank God. Let me give you this thought, and then I'm going to run through some things that I pray will help you. To understand spiritual authority, this is what I begin to try to work out. To understand spiritual authority, we must understand the root of the necessity for such authority. If you really think about it, we're kind of foolish to not have authority. A society runs amuck when you don't have authority. Uh, it's nice to think we're all free, but dear God, throw us all at a baseball game free and nobody has to pay to get in. We start fighting over seats, and that's why they have attendants and they have sheriffs and they have... Because I think we all know that even though spiritual authority can scare me, because now I'm thinking about a preacher and how much authority that preacher may have in my life, uh, the reality of that is, is I think all of us in the room could agree that there is a necessity for authority in the world. Because without it, it's chaos. And right now, the lamb and the lion don't lay down together. They eat one another. I know one day they'll lay down together, and that might be a different story. But right now, you turn them loose, the lion will eat the lamb. So you have to have zookeepers, or you have to have somebody to kind of manage that. So let's go through it, and I'll teach you what I've learned. Of course, it's an exhaustive teaching, but I'm going to give it to you in 30 minutes, so it'll require you to go home and study it out and think about it. So let me go to... Anybody want to guess where we're going? Yep, Genesis. So to understand it, I had to go back to the root. I did not want to try to understand spiritual authority by trying to figure out first, did Peter submit to Paul or Paul to Peter. I did know through my Bible study that Paul decided in his journey, I better go back and check with these peeps. That's Galatians. After 14 years, I went back just to see if what I'm doing was okay. And he goes back and he says this, he says, and they gave me the right hand of fellowship. You go to the Gentiles, we'll go to the Jews. So even though Paul was... Uh, you know, by the Holy Spirit was doing the missions, he still went and got the approval of the people that were, quote, leaders of the whole thing. Now, not only that in the New Testament, there was that Acts 13 moment where it says, and the teachers and the apostles and the prophets were praying, and they decided to pick Paul through the Holy Spirit and send them out. So I realized there, well... There must be something where God does use people with greater authority to instigate a mission or a ministry for somebody to confirm that mission or to approve it. But I still wanted to know why that would be important. I wanted to know why Jesus would send people out two by two and not one by one. Why two people? So uh, I did not go to Genesis at first, but through the years, I always go there. So I went to Genesis to understand the root of spiritual authority. This is what I've come out with. Verse 28 of chapter 1. God blessed them. How many of you know that's plural? All right. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. That's both male and female. Fill the earth and govern it. Now this is especially for people that don't believe women can preach. From the very beginning of time, both male and female were to have roles of governing. They both were to govern. They both were to be fruitful. And then what he says, reign over it. So God initiated authority from the very beginning. It it was needed. Why would you need authority? Because somebody's got to govern the thing. Somebody's got to reign over the thing. If nobody's governing and reigning, we'll have chaos. And I would say, chaos, God, you made the fish and you made the animals. They should all be good. And he's like, they are, but we still need government. We still need somebody to govern. So understand that the original root of reigning and governing was not because there was such sinful chaos. It was because it was the mind and wisdom of God. Like the fish are good. He saw the fish and said, behold, they're good. And then on day five, he creates the animals. And on day six, he says, behold, they're good. So everything he's telling to reign over is good. So the initial, the initial purpose of authority, a human to reign, was not because it wasn't good. It's because God wanted to keep it good. And it would need that. It's no different now than have a kid. They're bad. You leave them alone. They're not good. So you have to have somebody to govern the good to keep them good, or they'll steal each other's sucker. So this is my first one, and I, the title of this is, Why is Spiritual Authority Necessary? Because spiritual authority always has to begin with mutual submission. It's, it, by the time I get to the fourth one, you'll see the necessity, but I'm gonna kinda just throw some thoughts to you that'll make the necessity, why? Spiritual authority doesn't work without mutual submission. It did not start with the man going, I'm in charge, woman. Listen to me. It started with both of us have been asked to govern and we must do it together. As you helping me and me helping you. And, and then we kind of get into the, well, who was leading who? Was he leading her? He was made first. She leading him. And the reality of a perfect marriage is they're both leading each other listening to the Holy Spirit. Because there's sometimes a wife will say, nope, that's not God, honey, we're not doing that. And sometimes a husband says, yes, we are, we're going to do that. And they both are helping each other find freedom in God. So, and they're good for each other for that. And many times Robin has helped me understand. So why the necessity? Because there needs to be mutual submission. If, you're, if there's no mutual submission, it's never true spiritual authority. True spiritual authority has to have mutual submission. Otherwise, it's a dictatorship. If you force me to follow you, it's not spiritual authority. If you threaten me, if you don't do this, you're fired. And I'm not talking about like show up on time, but something that might not sit well. It, spiritual authority has to be a mutual thing. It's me coming to dad and going, look, I know the Holy Ghost is by far greater than you, dad. But I willingly submit to your wisdom. Now, in that, he, I know him, he's my father, earthly, he wants the best for me. So if you're going to mutually submit, you better find somebody that wants the best for you. Not the best for himself, the best for me. I know that Phil Stern wanted the best for me. It didn't feel like it at the time, but I know now he did. So this is where we have to start. And so ask yourself right now, is there someone right now in your life that you could mutually submit to? You trust them. You you trust them emphatically because you know they want the best for you, and the best they want for you is whatever God would want for you. All right? Because that's Adam and Eve. Here's the next verse. Verse 15 of Genesis 2. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden, here's where it gets interesting, to tend over it and to watch over it. Verse 16, but the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you're sure to die. Number two, spiritual authority. In your life, there need to be watchers and warners. You got to have both of them. Hey, Adam, I put you in this garden to watch over it. However, here's a warning. Because sometimes spiritual authority just want to govern and rule everything, but nobody can ever warn them. Don't touch the Lord's anointed. How dare you come against God's man? How dare you not think that my way's the right way? Well, in, in this, you need watchers, people that are running the kingdom, doing the kingdom, and going. But you need somebody on the team to say, you need to watch that right there. I don't have a good feeling about that person right there. Hey, I know you're all giddy right now, but be careful. I don't want the devil to trip you up. And now if you don't know who that is, that's usually a mother. Because she doesn't care if she hurts your feelings or not. It's why in church, the worst thing we ever did was put the young people on the stage and shut all the old people up. Because sometimes the old people are the best warners. Now, if they're not careful, the warners try to manipulate the watchers, and they can't get along. Because the warners are trying to control everything. I don't want to change. I like it the way it is. I like everything. We should never tear the walls down. And the watchers are like, well, by God, we're tearing the walls down. And they just end up fighting But what I was doing was, Phil, the Lord told me to go to Oklahoma City and he was giving me a warning, I don't think you should do that. Now the thing about that is watchers hate warners. We feel like they're in our way. They're hindering God. And because of that thinking, we we label the watchers Jezebels and Ahabs. So nobody wants to warn anybody. And then therefore, there's a lot of preachers that make terrible decisions because the Holy Ghost told me to do this. And you're like, hey, I don't know about that. But I can't say anything because who am I? Now here's what I will say. You're not a warner just because you think you are. And you're not a watcher just because you think you are. Both of them have to mutually agree on what we are here. I'm a watcher. I'm going to get things done. I rule and reign. I govern the church. I sit in the seat as the shepherd. That man and that woman are warners. They will let me know if I'm on track or not. I listen to Miss Sherry often who prays for me. I listen to Miss Ann often who prays for me. I listen to Mr. Umar who prays for me. Mr. Chris Redmond, who prays for me, all these men in my life know because of mutual submission, they can warn me at any time. Mr. Umar has come to me before and say, I was praying for you. I want to share this with you. You pray about it. I feel like, and he told me, I was like, yes, sir, I'm on it. Right. You got it. Because if I'm not careful, I will get prideful being a watcher and I'll ruin myself because I don't give anybody else a voice in my life. So ask yourself this question, who is it that has that voice of warning to you? That when they warn you, you would trust them. Hey, I just want to tell you, I've been praying, you know, I'm not saying this is God, but this is my wisdom. And you're like, okay, I'm good. I'm going to hold off. I'm not going to run off the edge here. I'm going to be careful. Let's keep going. And the Lord God, is the same thing, but verse 17 You may freely eat of the fruit of every tree. And then this word in blue I've highlighted this time, except, in other words, you can do all this stuff, but this one thing, and this is the hardest one for people, there needs to be the voice of exception in your life, meaning the no. If you want to know if you're truly under spiritual authority, can somebody in your life tell you no? Because I don't like that word. I want everybody in my life to tell me yes. The moment you want everybody on your team to tell you yes, you're on the road to deception. You need somebody in your life that can tell you no. You need somebody that can say you're an idiot. Don't you do that. How dare you talk to the man of God that way. I am talking to the man of God that way because you're a nut because we're mutually submitted. I've been in your life a long time. This is not God. And then you know what you have to say? Okay. Because my dad taught me, as I'm working this out over the years, he said this, Son, you never know what you believe about spiritual authority until you disagree. Oh, come on. You really don't know what you believe until you disagree. And when you disagree, you will know whether or not I'm, submitted, I'm a submitted man or I'm an egotistical man. And, and I, I will say, you don't know my whole story, but I will say there have been times I felt like I heard the Lord, I submitted it to the men and women that I have equity with relationally, and they came back and said, I don't have peace about that, and I washed my hands and said, fine, I'm not doing it. Uh, Sylvania, we were going to build a church building, and I went to, we called them covenant leaders. I went to my covenant leaders and said, hey, fellas, I really feel like we, it's time to build a building. I feel like the Lord has put it on my heart. I want you guys to pray about it. Let's come back next Tuesday. We came back next Tuesday. I'm just bubbling. That little apostolic prophetic fellas just, hey, we're going to take the world for Jesus. And I, I sat down. I said, all right, fellas, how do y'all feel? I feel good. I feel good. I feel good. I feel good. And the fifth guy goes, I don't feel good. Golly. All right, now, if we're Democrats... And Republicans, we just outvoted you five to one, right? Me and four other guys are positive. One guy, no, we should wait. So I said, all right, I'm not moving forward because it's mutual submission here, so we're going to postpone and hold off. Let's pray a couple of more months. We prayed a couple of more months, came back, same guy. I just don't feel peace yet. I don't feel peace. Oh, stupid. God should have never put him on there. I just... Right? I mean, when, when you're getting a no, it doesn't feel good. You suddenly start thinking, he's an Ahab. He's not that spiritual. But he genuinely cared for me. Well, it was a year later in February. we got every, I just postponed the whole thing and said, man, it's obviously not time. Just Let's dump it. Let's just keep doing the kingdom. We went back around to February, met again. I said, all right, fellas, what do y'all feel? Every one of them like, it's time, it's time, it's time, it's time, it's time. The guy that said no, he goes, no, man, it's now time. Now, the moment they all said it's time, divine favor started happening. The banks gave us favor. The loan was there. The, it was just profound. And I guess I could have trumped the one no and tried to work it myself. But I waited because... Not because I gave that guy a voice more powerful than God, but that I gave him a voice that allowed him the freedom to submit to him in mutual submission together. I I granted it to him. And because of that, I had to deal with it and we waited. So ask yourself, is there anybody that can tell you no? Is there anybody that can say, you don't need to buy that right now. You don't need to do that right now. It'll help you a lot. Verse 12 of Genesis 3, Adam replied, I like it, it was the woman you gave me. You see how quick mutual submission goes out the door? It does not take long. It was the woman you gave me that gave me the fruit and I ate it. And the Lord God asked the woman, what did you do? And she blamed the devil. She said, the serpent deceived me. So this is my next one of why spiritual authority is a necessity. Even the most well-intentioned can be deceived. If you think you cannot be deceived, you probably already are. Because deception is the worst of worst. Because deception is, I'm 100% right, but you're totally wrong. Sin is just, I'm wrong, I know it, and I'm cool with it. Deception is, I'm 100% wrong, but I feel 100% right. And, And I'll just say this. everybody that is a Christian needs to beware that the first sin was connected to deception. And Eve did not eat that fruit thinking evil. She ate that fruit thinking, I'm going to be just like God. She had good intentions. She meant well. She wanted to be like God. Her mind was deceived. The Bible even says that Adam just blatantly sinned, but she was deceived. She was tricked. He played on her emotions, her flesh. So I will say this, no matter how spiritual we all get, as long as you're in a human body with a brain and feelings and flesh, you could be deceived. I use my mother often to balance things that I believe, things I want to teach. Because I'm always digging, because when I come, I want to bring things meaningful to you. I don't want to just go on the internet and grab a sermon. So I genuinely sit in my office and pray and ask God to enlighten the scriptures to me and show me revelations and nuggets. And, and there will be times I will find a nugget. And one time I found a nugget and I thought, oh, I'm on to something. And I just dig and dig and oh, oh, oh God, this is hell. Oh, this is deep. Woo! I call mother. Mother. Oh, you got to hear this. It's going to blow your mind how brilliant I am at deciphering the Scriptures. And I shared it with her. I said, just tell me what you think. Just lay it on me. And she listened and she said, hmm, I think if you keep digging, you're going to find things you don't want. You need to just let that go. I was mad at her. You ruined my sermon series, woman. That was going to be so deep. And she said to me, she said, Son, be careful digging deep. You'll get deceived and find things you don't want because you'll get in your ego. One time I preached an incredible sermon. I preached so good I almost got saved again. It, it was, it was mind-blowing. Even in the moment preaching it, I thought, My God, this is." I'd go to my own church. That's how good it was. It was like... This is incredible. I literally felt that way. I was like, this, it was my best. I told Robin, I said, that's the best sermon I've ever preached in my life. I don't even know where the revelations came from. It was just coming out of me like butter. And so I ended church. We go to lunch. I called dad. I said, dad. He said, how was it, son? Because I I would call him every Sunday and tell him how the church went. He would always ask, how was it? How many people came to the altar? He would ask the questions. And I said, dad, you don't understand today. Oh, it was just Oh, the anointing was so thick. I I just am thinking, no wonder God picked me. Like, that's just, (laughs) it it was just mind-blowing. And then I said to him, I said, I don't know how in God's name I'm going to show up next Sunday and ever top that dad. Like, that's how meaningful the sermon was. And only like a dad can do. He said, well, son, God never calls you to one-up yourself. He calls you to be obedient. So don't go next week and try to one-up your ego. Just show up and do what God told you. And it took about 16 seconds for me to come off my high horse and realize I wasn't as popular and famous as I thought I was. Because what he reminded me is, Son, you're not here to blow people's mind. You're here to be obedient. Well, you need that. You need a warner. You, you need somebody to say, no, you're not doing that, son. Hey, be careful how deep you dig. You're going to come up with something stupid and end up in an occult. So, right? So that is what began to unravel as I'm trying to understand where Phil sits in God said versus I said versus he said. I began to unravel how it works How a human can have a voice of authority but not be God, but yet have such a voice that it keeps me from missing God. So understand that. A human can have a voice in your life to not keep you from hearing God, but keep you from missing God. Because we all could miss it. So I want to take you on a quick journey, give you six things that I think will end with on how to do it. Let's take this scripture. Now, this passage of Scripture is uh, interesting. It, it, it captured my mind years ago and to this day still just threatens me theologically to how, what's going on. Verse 6 of Luke 7. So Jesus went with them, but just before they arrived at the house, an officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home for I'm not worthy of such an honor. And this passage of Scripture is going to go into an officer who's not a Jew, who's going to bump into Jesus and request something, and they begin a dialogue together. And in this dialogue, this this officer sends some of his friends. He did not go himself. He sent his friends to say, Lord, Lord, Don't trouble yourself about coming to the house here. And he wanted to tell him, go tell him that that I don't think I'm worthy of this honor. So I I wrote this one down. How do you discern if you have healthy spiritual authority? I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I do want to be smart to know we can blow it and abuse it. But I cannot, for the life of me, think why we should get rid of it. So it makes me think, is there a healthy solution to having a pastor in your life who can speak to you and give you wisdom when you might not like to hear it? And for myself as well, a pastor in my life. I've had some people say, well, who are you submitted to? And I say, well, it's been my whole life, so I can just give them to you because they've always been there. And so I want to give you how I work it out healthy so we don't get off base. Number one, it's all about honor, not control. Honor is a beautiful thing. I honor my earthly father, and no matter what he tells me, I'm not worried about it because he's not trying to control me. He's trying to honor me as well. So when mother gives me advice about my marriage, she's not trying to control Mark and Robin because she honors me as a husband and Robin as a wife, but I honor her as a mother, so it's, it's mutual honor that gives the voice away. Be careful who you give the voice to. It needs to be given in honor. Meaning, I give it to you, Gary, and whatever you tell me, I trust you so much. Meaning, I better trust that Gary's listening to God following God Himself, hungry for the Lord, and that at the end of the day, Gary wants the best for me. But I want the best for him. Neither one of us are fighting for our own ego. We're fighting for the kingdom, helping each other achieve that which is best for each other. But if I start becoming skeptical of Gary, well, he doesn't want the best for me. He's just always against me. That can, that you can never have submission that way. You can never have spiritual authority when you don't trust them. It has to be my earthly father or whoever, or Umar or Chris Redmond or the elders in my life that I have given that over to over the long years. I have, I've had elders before, but, but those that really could speak into my life have years with me to, of honor and conversations in life together. So let's start here. Can we have spiritual authority about control? Yes, we can abuse it, and you better obey me because I'm the man of God. How dare you talk against the man of God? But when it's about honor, it's yielded willingly. Number two, same passage, Luke 7, verse 7. He says about himself, this is the officer, I'm not even worthy to come meet you. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. Number two, it's about humility and not ego. Don't ever submit somewhere where ego is on the throne. Because they'll use you and abuse you. It's about humility. I've been around long enough to know that a lot of men of God have a lot of ego. We get the best parking spots, the preacher parks here. We get the green rooms. We get the best fruit. We get the front row seats. We get the armor bearers that carry our Bible. I'm good with all that if people want to do it. I'm not going to fight that fight because I believe it's different when somebody wants to do it to honor me. It's quite different when I demand the front row parking because of ego. I had somebody come up one time I was teaching at a, at a school, a Bible school, and the guy there told the little Bible school students, when he gets here, you get his Bibles, you carry his Bibles, you follow him everywhere, which was cool. I guess they were being trained how to be armor bearers. But the little guy walked up and he said, I, I can take your Bible, Mr. Pastor Evans. I said, I, I like my Bible, you don't have to take it. It literally crushed him. Because I, I, I thought, okay, I didn't know it was that important to you. But But I will say that, that I have worked hard to be in ministry and make sure that I stay in humility, which is weird because if you say you're humble, isn't that already prideful? I mean, that's the... How could I say I'm humble? That's prideful. But I will say I'm in the basement intentionally. I'm in the basement, A, because I like that room when we tore it out, but B, it reminds myself the best way to lead is from the bottom. Never from the top palace room. My, my dad, who has yielded the shepherdship to me, I would never go over there and take his office. Just for honor. And if I told him I need that office, he would say, well, just take it. Because Phil for two years has taken it during the morning and dad comes in in the afternoon. Why? Because of honor and humility. Because dad doesn't have no ego trip. Nobody's trying to control anybody. So all of a sudden, it's working beautiful. You need my office? Take my office. Oh, but that's your office. I don't worry about it. We're all working for the same God. All right? Third, verse 7. Again, I'm not even worthy to come. Just say the word from where you are. I love this. My servant will be healed. Number three, authority is always about healing, never about bondage. Now, when Phil told me, don't go, it felt like bondage. But I realized it was really healing. He he was going to spare me the worst six weeks, eight weeks of my life. But because he didn't agree with me, it felt like a bondage. So I had to start with, if I truly believe in spiritual authority and I've yielded that voice to somebody and I respect them and we honor each other and we're mutually working together for the kingdom then whatever they tell me, I need to believe it's for my best. It's for my healing. So to slow down and not build that church, because one man said, wait, I slowed down, and rather than being angry because I couldn't go do what I wanted, I slowed down, the team got tighter and better, and we ended up building two great buildings. But, but if you're not careful, you can get in a church to where leadership controls It's my way or the highway, I'm the pastor, thus saith the Lord. The Lord told me to do this, I'm doing this, good luck. If you don't like it, here's the way to do it. And you just kind of feel like your hands are tied. Like, wow, okay, I guess so, because I don't even know what I could say here. Number number four, I know this, this is verse 8, because I, listen to this, this is what I said was so challenging. The officer says, I know this to be true because I am under authority of my superior officers. And I have authority over my soldiers. Like he's even saying, this works in the army the generals over the majors, over the colonels, over the sergeants. So that's kind of what he's saying. He says, I'm in the military. I know how this works. I'm under authority. I also have men under my authority. And all I need to do is just say, go, and they'll go, come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. And listen to Jesus, will say it, I'll give it to you in a minute. But uh, I wrote this one for number four. Spiritual authority is about modeling, not manipulating. This guy modeled it. He wasn't just saying, well, I'm in charge, and you better shut up and listen to me. That's his underling soldiers. He even said, whatever I tell them to do, they'll do. I tell them to go, they go. I tell them to come, they come. But he wasn't doing it out of ego because he says of himself, oh, just so you know, I also am a man under authority. And whatever I'm told to do, I'll do. So I've learned that the best way to do it is to understand if you want to have spiritual authority, model it for people. It's easy to sit up here and bark things at people. But to model it, to truly model, I'm a man under authority. To truly model that uh, none of the elders on our team here have voting rights, meaning they can just vote me out. I don't like him, adios. But I give them the right to speak into my life so that I honor whatever they tell me, I honor it. Because I know that it's going to bring healing. And so when Robin went through her cancer, and, and I am and the shepherd of the church feeling like, man, I'm just under attack, my family, Robin, Lord, just speak to me. What, how do you think God spoke? He came right through Umar. And Umar found me up at the front and he said, Pastor, the Lord told me to tell you something. Well, my ears perk up because, okay, wait, he's already put God there, so I want to hear what the Lord is saying. And he said to me, "I, I felt like the Lord told me to tell you and Robin, take you remember that, take communion every time before you do chemo. Now, as soon as he said that, I felt the most overwhelming peace. Just, and I was like, that's the word of the Lord for me. Now, how strange this is. That one word spoken from a man that I've yielded authority to and honor to, whatever the Lord shows you, tell me. He's one of them that I do that for. He, he gave it to me and it brought healing to me. Because every time Robin did chemo, I'm taking communion with her and, and I would have such peace. Because remember, it was COVID, so they wouldn't let me sit with her. So I just had to dump her off and walk away and she's crying and we're... But we're like, nope, we're going to honor what Umar said here. Now, how could he have that kind of authority to speak into my life to the point that I'd go, that's it, I'm doing that? Because Umar didn't just walk up on Sunday and go, thus saith the Lord. What you may not know about Umar, I'm picking on him tonight, he didn't know. What you don't know about Umar is he shows up on Tuesday or Thursday or Friday or Monday. And comes into my office. How's my favorite pastor doing? Like you can't even be five feet near him that you don't feel like you're the best person in the world. You're gonna live and be an old man. I just want to encourage you. Well, so he has earned honor in my life because he shows up and encourages me all the time. He's constantly telling me to go after God. He has humility. He's definitely not about ego. So as all this is working out in my life, Umar has modeled it for me. I've watched him live it. I've watched him be submitted to me as a pastor, but at the same time, I'm submitted to him as an elder, and this thing just works. All right. So be careful because some pastors can manipulate it with a book, but not model it with their life. Which is, I'm not against it. It's why I don't have a green room. It's why I don't have a special room that I go in to get away and that's my spot. I don't have preferred parking. If it's going to be preferred parking, it's going to be for elderly women. I don't have people showing up to serve my ego. Not against it, not saying it's wrong, but I just want to model that I'm a father of this house. I'm not some guy trying to manipulate the house. I love it and I honor you more than myself in that. Verse 9, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Your ears ought to pop up when you hear that. Turning to the crowd that was following, he said, I tell you, and this is so challenging, I tell you I have never seen faith like this. Now that could let you study that for a year, that, that the faith he's never seen is the faith that's under authority. Greater, I've never, I have never seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. That's profound. Because I'm going to tell you, Mary had a lot of it. But I've never seen this kind of faith that a man would be under authority and understand how authority works. It's so powerful that the devils themselves understand authority. It's how the whole kingdom works, under authority. It's why Michael would not rebuke Lucifer because he was under Lucifer's authority originally, so he couldn't rebuke uphill. He just said, God rebuke you. So it's all about faith and not fear. If you fear the leaders or the voice of authority over you, you need to check that. If you're submitted somewhere and you say, hey, I've given this person... Honor, humility, and, and the right to speak into my life and to tell me no. You better make sure you're doing it out of faith and not fear. Don't, don't yield in fear. It won't be good for you. Yield in faith, knowing that you trust them and, and you, you know them over a long period of time. Verse 10, we'll finish here. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed Number six, it's all about serving, not slaving. Spiritual authority is not uh, egotistical maniacs demanding that everybody else serve them. If you really want to watch spiritual authority, just see if the person in charge serves you. Jesus washes the feet. And he even said, well, I want to wash your feet. Nope, nope, I'm washing yours. So we need to start with anybody you are going to submit to as that voice of authority in your life. Do they model serving? Do they serve you? Do they give themselves for you? And then this is my conclusion. I hope you learned something, at least opened a door for you to study. Spiritual authority is God's method of keeping you on track and steady in order to arrive at the end in complete and total rest. Spiritual authority is God's method of keeping you on track and steady in order to arrive at the end in complete and total rest.